welcome to the Vibe Chat Podcast. My name is Chris Langley, owner of Vibe Speech Therapy. And today I'd like to talk about minimal pairs. So what are minimal pairs? Well, those are words that differ in only one phonological element. They're a really useful way to highlight a sound in a meaningful context and also show the child the importance of correct pronunciation. These are generally words that rhyme, fin, thin, key, tea, sail, tail. Speech sounds and phonological awareness can be worked on at the same time with this. It's an excellent therapeutic tool. And the goal is for kids to understand how the meaning of a word changes when the sounds are changed, which is why minimal pairs is used in early literacy. Minimal pairs activities also help kids to develop their listening and discrimination skills. I do this a lot when I'm working in therapy with kids, and it really helps them to tune into what are they able to process and what are they able to discriminate and what are they able to verbalize. And after the child's listening discrimination skills are increased, then they can recognize the difference that changing one sound in a word changes the whole meaning of a word. And then their speech productions can increase in length and complexity. You can use games or other activities to do this and even just everyday life. And this also is very helpful when you're targeting misarticulated sounds. So in order to see if you need to use minimal pairs as a therapeutic intervention, you need to know or reference a developmental norms of speech sounds chart. You can find this just by Googling, you know, put in the developmental norms, speech sounds, and something will pop up. I'll briefly say what they are just so you have a sense here. And I won't say the sound, I'll say the letter because that'll be easier to understand in this format. So from two to three years, a typical development they have in place already, P, B, M, D, N, H, T, K, G, W, the N, G, ing sound, F, and Y. It's a lot of sounds that come in early. And then at four years, they have L, J, C, H, S, V, S, H, and Z. And you can see how they're decreasing as we go higher in age. At five years of age, they need to have R, the J sound, and TH voiced. And then at six years, TH unvoiced. So the voice and voiceless, so TH voiced is like in this and that. And TH unvoiced is like thing and three. So those are those later sounds. They have a group of sounds that in um, when I was in grad school, they called them the late eight. And so I don't know if they're all eight nowadays. It's just a few, but R, L, S, and T, H are really common. So that's not eight, but, you know, things change. So these four are very prominent when we're looking at phonological production and process and whatnot. And speaking of processes, so the... Cluster reduction, fronting and backing and gliding are three phonological processes. And I'll break those down. So cluster reduction happens when a consonant is dropped from a consonant cluster. So for example, the FL is a consonant cluster. So that would be flame. But if a child is leaving out the L sound, then it turns into fame. So we do a lot of um, comparison between words. Okay. And with a picture. Is this 
fame or flame. And then they have to match what they're saying with the picture. And oftentimes it doesn't agree if they're struggling in this area. And so then that highlights the issue for them. And then we work on producing that correctly. Uh, another example would be like free or fee, slow, so, play, pay. So you kind of get the idea there. That's cluster reduction. It's very common, very common. You can hear it a lot in uh, younger speech. And if it happens as they get older, then we have to get on that because as I'll talk about in a bit, it really can affect uh, academics and writing and spelling in particular. So another phonological process is fronting and backing. Fronting is really common. And what happens with it is, well, I should say all three of these are very common. But what happens with fronting is it really significantly impairs intelligibility. It's really hard to hear, to understand what a child is saying, what word they're trying to say, because it, it completely changes the word. And sometimes because a K and a G are in multiple places in a word, it can change it completely and you're not quite sure. And especially because they're substituting the K with a T and the G with a D, parents initially are like, well, what? I have no idea what's what's going on. And, you know, forget strangers. It's going to be really difficult. A lot of times there's a lot of smiling and nodding that goes on with that <laughs> with kids, myself included, because it can be when kids have multiple processes or sounds that are not there, it, be, it can become really difficult to understand them. And if you constantly don't, sh if you constantly show that you don't understand what someone's saying, then of course that impacts their confidence and then they will shut down and we never want that. So there's a lot of kind of faking it in, until we make it and either deciphering the code and, or, you know, getting help from a speech therapist really um, goes a long way. So some examples of fronting would be like T for key, do for go, tap for cap, and dod for dog. That last one is very common because a lot of people have dogs and kids like animals and dogs. So they say the dod, dod, dod. It's a little easier to figure out what that might be. Um, but then cat would be tat, tat, tat. So dod and tat. So, you know, if you're referencing something if they're if they see a visual and they're referencing it then that helps you out a bit but otherwise it can be kind of tricky especially in running speech and conversational speech and the last phonological process that's that's um impacted is called gliding and that's what everybody refers to and it turns into baby speech it's like w for r and w for l so like I like Huawei pops. It sounds cute when they're really little, but then when they don't grow out of it, then it's getting in the way because what happens obviously as we get older, we have more and more speech available. We're not just saying two or three words. So when they start having full on sentences and conversations and they're mixing this all in, then you start to get lost. And so it's, it's really important to get support for that. And this is a big piece of the speech aspect of my practice. So you know, it's worth repeating that for speech therapists, we, for people who don't know, uh, it's not just speech. I mean, we have speech for articulation of sounds and then obviously language and reading and writing and social language skills. So there's a huge, every area of communication is covered. So for just the speech kids that I see, these are the big players right here, uh, R and uh, fronting and cluster reduction. Those are all the big ones.
There are other common substitutions that happen. For example, I was uh, talking about flame versus fame, and that that is a um, that can get mixed up when you have different F sounds, or for any word for that matter, that also get impacted by, let's say, we have a F for TH that's unvoiced. For example, if I say thing for thing, and that's also combined with a cluster reduction with F cluster, then, or L cluster, sorry, then that's going to complicate matters even more. So it's going to be tricky. So as a speech therapist, we can identify the different processes that are going on and isolate them and work on them typically one at a time per developmental norms, but they all come in the mix. And it's kind of like when they have multiple processes out, then it becomes a little bit of swimming through a bog. But the F for TH is very, very common. And in fact, actually, it's not considered disordered in some areas of the world and some cultures. People say it dialectically. So sometimes, depending on where the person lives or their cultural background, we can ask the family, you know, this is a variant of speech. And is this something that you would like us to work on? So that's something that I've asked families before. Um, the D for TH is also this in the same boat. And this, for example, instead of saying this or that, they could say dis or dat. So these are all different variants. And, you know, it's interesting with language and culture. It's actually quite fascinating. But, you know, what's acceptable and not acceptable and what's considered professional and what's considered articulate. They're all, you know, different just, I guess, viewpoints or frames of reference. So we have to keep those things in mind when we're working on language, speech and language skills. So as I was saying um, before that these substitutions are cute for a while, but then once they start putting more and more words together, together, it starts to get harder to understand them. And then the speaker and the listener become frustrated. And that's typically... Well, I shouldn't say typically. A lot of times that's when people contact me or my practice and say, okay, you know, everybody's having trouble here. But sometimes people will also do it proactively, which I think is wonderful. It's better to be too early than too late in a lot of cases. And sometimes we think, okay, things will sort themselves out. But when it comes to these phonological processes, usually you're going to need some support because they're just that way, those things, they get entrenched really easily and they have a hard time shifting out without some support. And also we provide some oral motor intervention, you know, things you can do just motorically, little exercises to encourage the speech placement and production. So when these kids get into early literacy and then these sounds aren't developmental in nature anymore, these skills really need to be remediated because then they start to interfere with literacy skill development. And when a parent tells me, oh no, their reading and spelling is not affected at all, I'm so happy to hear that because it can really impact that area. So that means that the child has a very good ear, but they are just not able to find the proper place in production for it. Whereas otherwise, what they're able to hear and discriminate and then verbalize. There's little bumps along the way that we need to support with that. And there's a lot of activities you can do to target minimal pairs 
You can make your own flashcards, which is pretty industrious. And you can probably just put something in on Google and find a few lists, but you're going to need a lot of them. So you might want to have something that generates it for you. And something that I use uh, online on websites is boom cards. They're very popular. A lot of parents know about them now and teachers. And another thing you can do is a website called Teachers Pay Teachers, which is also pretty popular. So either of those, they give you, you know, kind of a they front load a bunch of practice for you so they can practice it and they give you some visuals as options and different things like that. I mean, minimal pairs can be really fun. I try to make everything as fun as I can. And, you know, especially, well, depending on the age, of course, but the younger they are, the more fun you seem to need to be. And when you use visuals and kind of make it playful and silly, then they can laugh at themselves and, and try again, you know, and not, be too hard on themselves and not feel like I, you know, I'm never going to get this. It does take a while, you know, with any speech and language issue, it takes a while. We're trying to change all of the muscular patterns and just also the way that the brain perceives sound and the way that the brain is able to express those ideas once they're perceived and the motoric patterns are in place. So all of those pieces are part of it, but with a lot of practice, you can just make some time every day and um, enjoy it. Enjoy the time connecting and enjoy talking about different things. You can talk about things that are just family related or fun things that are coming up. It's a great way to talk about what's going on in school or what their interests are, how they're feeling. You can tailor it to any area that is, you know, kind of up for grabs for your child and what they're interested in sharing. So above all, have a great time doing it and best of luck. And thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please follow me on Apple and Spotify or on any other podcast platform. And to get more information on speech and language therapy, you can visit my website at vibespeechtherapy.com. 